It's good to see all of you this morning. Hey, before we uh, share God's word this morning, just a couple reminders. Men, don't forget out to the men's table and see what Woody has out there for you. Uh, Ladies, also the same thing. Don't forget uh, women's Bible study has started, but they're just coming into their second week. So gals, they had a good group, I think like 20 gals uh, on Thursday night. So gals, if you'd like to join them, they'd be more than happy to have you. The Oasis Business Connection is compiling a revised edition. So if you'd like to submit your business card or information, uh, please go out to the info table and do that after the service. Missions ministry. Any of you that are interested in our missions program or missions ministry, uh, Nathan and I would like to meet with any of you just for a couple minutes after the service. Uh, And since Nathan is seated over there, although he's playing bass over here, but we'll go over here. Okay, so if you're interested in the missions ministry, uh, and that way the folks that are counting the offering will let you guys go over on this side. Aren't you glad I told you all this beforehand? Wow. And then one other thing, uh, many of you uh, hopefully brought in some stuff for the lunch packing ministry today. Uh, those items, again, were in the e-newsletter, in the bulletin, whatever, the food items, the clothing items, all that. And uh, I guess this Friday, Amanda, are you guys packing this Friday night? So if you'd like to be a part of that ministry that Greg and Amanda have sort of taken over, please email them or talk to them about that. They would love to have you be a part of that. And of course, that's part of our homeless ministry where they take these lunches out to the homeless folks then on the Saturday following. So like they'll pack the lunches on Friday night along with, you know, collecting all the clothing items and stuff. And then on Saturday they go out. So if you'd like to be a part of that ministry, please talk to Toby or, you know, any, any of the folks that you know. Or in, if you don't know of who's involved in that, then come see me and I'll direct you to the right people. By the way, just also a side note, we have 25 couples now going to the marriage getaway at the Buttes the first weekend of October. And I will say this, the Buttes extended the uh, registration one day till tomorrow. So if you'd like to be a part of our marriage getaway, please see my wife, Lisa, and we can probably get you in tomorrow and get a room set up for you there at the Buttes. All right, where am I at? Romans chapter 11 this morning. The book of Romans, as we're traveling through... The book of Romans, we're in chapter 11. And chapter 11 is sort of the final chapter of sort of a three-chapter section within Romans where Paul is using the nation of Israel as a great example of how God deals with people, especially His people. And uh, a lot of great stuff in here, how we can glean from how God again has has dealt with Israel over the years in our own lives. And so when we come to chapter 11, too, he's continuing to lay the groundwork for then where we're going to be next week, beginning in chapter 12. But this also is a strategic chapter following up what what he's talked about in Romans 9 and 10, because he's basically laid out there, look, God gives us all a free will and a a free choice of, of living life on our terms or on God's terms. And Paul has already said, just like with the nation of Israel, they had a choice even though they were the elect people of God. And when they chose to live life on their terms rather than God's terms, 
or when they chose to try to find their own way to God rather than accepting God's way to himself through Jesus, that life was going to be hard. That was one of the built-in results, if you will, for living life on our terms. God gives us that choice. But when we as a human being choose to live life on our terms, life will be much harder than it has to be. That's why Jesus said, if you will follow me and take my yoke on you and learn of me and, and, and take my responsibility that I have created you for, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Life won't be quite as, as difficult and hard as, as you're making it and, and maybe as it is right now because you simply have not surrendered. To me, And that's why at the very beginning of, of worship, I know not everyone was in here, but I think the songs today that we're singing, the first three and then even the last one, is all about coming to God pliable. Look, we've all come here today with our stuff. There's nobody who's come into this auditorium today perfect in the sight of God, and that never will happen on this side of heaven. We've all got our stuff. But what God does look for within even his own people are those who are willing to be pliable, moldable, teachable. Those who are willing to not be stubborn and obstinate and and hard-hearted to the point where as God tries to move us or change direction or want us to go a certain way that we just sort of stay where we are and don't allow God to move. So with all of that said, that's what Paul's laid out in chapters 9 and 10. So immediately his fellow Jews would be like, well, if, if, if God allows me a choice of living life on my terms or his terms, and I choose to live life on my terms, even though I know I'm basically making things harder for myself than they would have to be, and God is not going to lower the standard and, and compromise his own standard to somehow run after me or lower the standard to be more accommodating. God will be there for me when I'm willing to turn around and follow him and do things his way. But if that's true, then does God reject me? Does God push me away? Does God drive me away from himself? Because many times when even as God's people, we choose at this season of our life or moment in time to be doing things our way, It seems like God can be a million miles away, like he's really far off. And so in our minds, how we feel about things is, has God, you know, literally went away from me or pushed me further away? And that's where Paul begins this chapter then in chapter 11 with these words. So I ask, God has not rejected his people, has he? Again, the word rejected means to push away or to drive away. And Paul's answer is absolutely not. As emphatic a negative as you can get in the Greek language. And Paul will use this many times throughout the passage. He says to the people of Israel, God has never pushed you away. God will never push anyone away. God will not push you and I away today. Even if we choose to somehow live life on our terms rather than God's terms, and we feel like God is really far away from us, 
It's not that God has moved away from us or shoved us aside. It's that we have left God and we have chosen to walk away from him. So today, what Paul would say to us as he says to Israel is this. Know this, that God has never pushed anyone away. Even those who are choosing to live life on their terms at this point. If you feel there's a distance between you and God, it's because we have chosen to walk away from God's ways and God's will and God's presence. Not because God has ever pushed any of us away. I hope that will be an encouragement to you today. And then he goes on to say, look, I too am an Israelite. He goes down through all the things that he, as, as an Israelite, you know, could have, could have said about himself, how he describes himself in his own ethnicity or ancestry, if you will. He does bring up the fact that Elijah even got fed up with God's own people and says, Lord, you know, how long are you going to put up with them? They've killed your prophets, verse 3. They've demolished your altars. I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But notice the divine response, God's response in verse 4. I have kept for myself 7,000 people who have not bent the knee to Baal. As we move through this chapter, there were certain things that God just brought really to the fore for me that I want to share with you today. Obviously, the first one was we needed to start with this whole thing about rejection. And the fact is, you may have been rejected in your life by other human beings, but you've got to understand the truth of God's word. God has never rejected you. And if you're not close to God or or you're not as close to God as you want to be, That's on you to go back to God and he will welcome you back. But he's never rejected you and he never will. And secondly, Paul says, God has always had a faithful remnant. Whether it was in Israel, though the majority of Israel as a a whole, as a nation as a whole, they have rejected Jesus as their Messiah throughout their whole history. But God has always had a faithful, smaller group within the larger majority that have been faithful to him, that have remained when others have fallen away. And what Paul is saying is this. The other thing about God is that he preserves those who are truly his. That's what the word kept means, that God preserves those who are truly faithful to himself. Because Paul is going to make the point that if we look even at Israel as an example, God has never throughout history worked through the masses. That's never been God's way. God has always worked through a smaller group who were faithful to him. A smaller minority, that faithful remnant. And God is doing the same thing today, my friend. He's not working through masses of people. He's looking for those few people who when everyone else is falling away from God, from his word, from prayer, from fellowship with Christians, from the church, 
God is looking for that faithful remnant that he has promised to preserve through the hardest times that the world will ever see until Jesus comes. And God says, I will preserve you. I will keep you for myself. Because that's what I decreed that I would do. I'm just looking for who's going to remain. Who, when all the dust settles, if you will, and God looks up, who's going to be left who are still willing to be those faithful few that are willing to make themselves available to God and also to choose to live life on God's terms rather than their own terms. Because Paul goes on to say, In the same way, verse 5, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Not based upon, again, anything that God foreknew or foresaw, but based upon his undeserved favor. In fact, I want to go back to verse 2 for a minute because I want to plant this verse in your mind and I'm going to come back to it later on in the message. Notice that Paul says in verse 2, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. I want you to keep that in mind. Just lay that aside for just a few moments and we'll come back to it. So, in verse 7, he starts talking about, well, Israel then failed to obtain what it was diligently seeking for. It was, it was seeking God, right? Well, but the majority of them were seeking God on their terms. As we talked about the last couple of weeks, not on God's terms. And so he says, those that failed to find God or seek God on his terms or even live on his terms rather than their terms, what happens to them? Notice what Paul describes here in verse, at the end of verse 7 and verse 8. He says, the rest were hardened. And that hardening is done by God. In fact, it goes on in verse 8 to say, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. (laughs) The Greek word means they they were numb. They were insensitive. They were absolutely unaffected by anything spiritual. Now, look, God didn't do this before they rejected him. What Paul is saying is, this is why we need to be very careful. Because just like the Jew, if I choose to live life on my terms long enough and I I stay stubborn and obstinate and hard-hearted towards God, then the punishment from God for that will be that he will confirm us in that hardened state. So that no matter what we experience, what we hear, we can no longer be moved. Because we are like that that piece of skin, if you will, that has been burned, that no longer has any feeling to it. And that's why many people today can again be part of churches and listen to the Word of God and be part of Bible studies where they hear the Word of God and can be in a spiritual environment and be totally unaffected by everything that they're experiencing. Think of the Jews. Think of how many miracles the Jewish people saw coming out of Egypt. First of all, they saw this miraculous deliverance from a nation that was much stronger than they were. And then they get out of Egypt and they see a sea part 
so that they can go over on dry land. They see pillars of fire and smoke that guides them. And yet, do we see that because they had all these experiences, which again, that's a, you know, well, if God just did miracles, if he, if he just made himself more visible, if he did these, then people would just follow, right? No. Go back to Israel. Did all the miraculous things that Israel experienced and see, did that really change their heart towards God? No. Because their heart wasn't pliable to begin with. They still wanted to live life on their terms rather than God's terms. So no matter what they experienced, it really didn't change them. That's why they ended up then making a golden calf when Moses was up on the mountain for too long. What brought them to that point? Well, this is what brought them to that point. And why Paul includes it here is sort of as a warning. Again, he's saying, look, God will never push you away and reject you. But don't forget this. If you and I, over a period of time, choose to keep saying no to God, then there's going to come a point where God will confirm us in that hardness of our own heart. Now know this, part of why God does that, that we sometimes don't see right away, is God is actually being merciful. Say, wait a minute, God's actually being merciful to me if he hardens me against being able to be sensitive to his truth and the moving of of himself around me? How's that merciful? Because then it prevents you and I, when we're in that state, from actually being judged any more severely for taking in all these spiritual experiences and not responding to them. Think of it the same way Jesus said of why he taught in parables. Remember how he explained that? Jesus said, look, I'm teaching in these parables so that you who are open to God... You'll get it. You'll understand the meaning behind these stories I'm telling. But the reason I'm also talking in parables is so that those whose heart isn't, you know, willing to listen to God, they won't get it. And therefore, then I won't hold them responsible for it because it's not getting through. It's the way God is. In a sense, God is saying, If all this got through and you continued to reject, you would just be held more responsible. And so Paul is giving us a couple different ways to see this process that happens. And again, that's why we have to be so careful. Because again, even like God's people in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, God's people today in the church can get to that point where... You continue to say no to God and to his word and to his moving in your life. And you can become confirmed in that spirit of stupor to where you're just unaffected, numb, can't be moved anymore by God. Now, he also says this. In verse 9, David quoting here, he says, let their table become a snare and a trap. The table here describes the blessings and privileges from God. Think of Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. This table here, 
were the privileges and blessings that God had given to Israel. But notice what God says through David. The very things that I gave to bless you, to be a privilege for you, can turn around and become something that is burdensome and hard for you if you choose to live life on your terms rather than my terms. In fact, notice he goes on to describe this. He says, the very things that were a blessing and privilege from God are now a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Think of the law that way. The law was given as a privilege to the nation of Israel and as a blessing, but because they didn't respond to it properly, that law became something around their neck that continued to drive them downward, continued to be this great burden and and source of pain in their life, rather than something that would drive them to God and faith in Him that would bring them freedom. The very thing that God gave them to bless them now has sort of become a curse to them. God says, be careful. Because he says, their eyes became darkened so that they may not see and made their backs bend continually. It's a great visual of a person who enters into a pitch black room where there's no light. And what's one of the first things that you and I instinctively do if we get caught where there's no light? We sort of start hunching down because the last thing we want to do is just keep on walking and end up falling and hurting ourselves. So we start bending and trying to reach for things in order to find something that we can hold on to. It's a picture of someone who's groping around in the darkness and who is now all of a sudden burdened and in a bad spot because there's no light. And God says that's exactly what happens to those, again, who live life on their terms. All of a sudden, again, life becomes much more burdensome, much more filled with pain than what it would have to be if we would choose to live in the light of God. And then when we did that, the blessings and privileges that God has already poured out on us, we would be able to enjoy and really see the fullness of them rather than it turning around on us And the very things that God gave us to bless us now have become this thing that's wrapped around our neck and dragging us down. Now, sounds sort of bleak up to this point again, doesn't it? But notice verse 11. I asked then, they did not stumble into an irrevocable fall, did they? The word irrevocable there means irretrievable, beyond recovery. In other words, then the question is, If Israel has done this, if they rejected God, God has not rejected them, then has this fall, has this stumble been something that they can never recover from? And again, notice Paul gives the greatest emphatic expression he can give in the Greek language. Absolutely not. And again, I hope that will be an encouragement to you. If Israel has not fallen to a point where they can't get back up again, then there's no way that any of you in this room or anyone listening to the sound of my voice over podcast has ever fallen so far that somehow you can't recover. Because Paul is saying, 
If Israel is not beyond recovery, then you and I are never beyond recovery. All it takes is us just being willing to turn back to God in faith and say, God, I've been living life on my terms. I'm done. I'm I'm doing it your way from now on. And just like the father of the prodigal son, the father never ran after his son, but the father was always there waiting for the son to come back. And if the son was willing to come back and start doing things the right way, oh my, the father was there with open arms of love. And the father never said, I told you so. And the father never said, you know, you really got yours, didn't you? No, the, the father just had a big party because his son had returned. And there was recovery involved. And that's what God wants us to see today. He wants us to have that hope for ourselves. And he wants us to carry that hope throughout our lives for others. If Israel was never beyond recovery, if their fall in the last thousands of years, is not irretrievable before God, then there is nothing that any of us can individually do that is beyond the recovery of God. God is in the business of restoration, my friends. He's in the business of putting lives back together that are broken. And as I shared earlier, there's not a one of us that have come into this auditorium that is not broken in some way, that does not have some stuff that we've got to deal with before God. And God is simply saying to all of us, look, I'm willing to deal with it. I'm not pushing you away. Come back to me and let's be restored, my child. Let's be restored. I hope you have that hope today. No matter how long you've stumbled, no matter how far you've fallen, you need to remember this. There is no fall from which you cannot recover if you're willing to turn to God. No fall. I've shared with you this before. One of my favorite proverbs Proverbs 24, 16, although a righteous man may fall seven times, seven in the Bible, usually a number of completeness. Same thing of why Jesus said when Peter asked, how many times should I forgive someone? Seven times 70. He wasn't literally saying 490 times and on the 491st time you punch him in the nose. That's not what he was saying. He was basically saying completely, completely. And so... The book of Proverbs says, although a righteous man may fall seven times, he rises up again. And we can't rise up on ourselves for, with, in our own strength. We sang about that just a few minutes ago. I need you. There's no way we can bring about our own spiritual resurrection. But when you're connected with the God who raises the dead, then there is no experience down here that God cannot help us to recover from. And that's what Paul wanted his fellow Israelites to see. And then he goes on to say, look, if their rejection of their Messiah meant richness and wealth for the rest of us Gentiles spiritually, then what is their restoration going to mean? when they as a nation, as a whole, come back to God. 
Then he talks in verse 13 to Gentiles. He's been sort of talking to his fellow Jews. And now he wants the Gentiles to hear something. Those who, because of Israel's rejection of their Messiah, God opened up a way for Gentiles to obviously come to him as well, which was always part of God's plan anyway. I tell people, listen, it's not like the Old Testament was just about God loving Israel and wanting to save the Israelites. It was all about God saving Gentiles in the Old Testament too. Think of a book like Jonah, where God told his Jewish prophet Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh which was a Gentile city, and I want you to share my truth with them. God was always about loving the whole world, not just Jewish people. In fact, the whole reason he chose the Jewish nation to begin with as his chosen people was not for them to be some self-contained entity where it could just be them having a great party with God all the time and everyone else was left out. It was so they could be a nation that all the other nations and peoples of the world could look to them and find the one true God for themselves. So he's talking to Gentiles beginning in verse 13. And I'm going to cut out a lot of what he's saying here. Obviously, you can read it and study it for yourselves. But the one thing that really jumped off the page at me was how Paul was saying to the Gentiles, just because now you've had the way open to God through Israel's rejection, don't allow your blessings and the favor that you're now experiencing with God and all these privileges and all these blessings to lift you up in pride. Your experience and walk with God, just as it was meant for the Israelites, should be something that instead of bringing about pride in us, should be something that makes us humble. Which is why three times in this passage, notice what Paul says to the Gentiles. Verse 18. Do not boast over the branches. The branches being Israel. Do not exalt yourself over the nation of Israel, just because now you've accepted the Messiah and as a whole, they've rejected him. Then notice in verse 20, do not be arrogant, but fear, reverence and respect God. And the word arrogant just simply means don't exceed a proper opinion about yourself. Stay humble. And then down in verse 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Yes, a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. But notice verse 26. God has promised one day that as a whole, the nation of Israel will be saved. And they will turn to Jesus as their Messiah. That day obviously has not come yet. That's why they're still experiencing the pain of living life on their terms rather than on God's terms. The point I think Paul's making to Gentiles then predominantly is this. Just like the nation of Israel, God blessed them, gave them all these privileges, favor, all this. And instead of this keeping them humble before God, They allowed their spiritual privileges and blessings and favor to lift them up in pride. 
to the point where they began to look down their noses at everybody else in the world except themselves. And they became very smug. It was like, well, we're, you know, we're Israelites. We're in. Our ancestors, Abraham, we don't have anything to, to be afraid of. And their pride then got them to such a place of why then they were hardened and stubborn and obstinate. Because when you and I have pride in our life, one of the results of pride is we won't move. Because we're too proud to admit that maybe we're wrong. Maybe we need to change. Maybe we need to look at things differently. That's what pride does. That's why the Bible says God hates pride. That's why he's always encouraging his people to stay humble before him. The problem is it's sort of like God wants to bless his people, obviously. But he has seen throughout history that a lot of times when he heaps blessings on his people, instead of all those things that God has done for them, brings about that sustained humility, it actually lifts them up in pride to the point where they are immovable before God. I couldn't help but think about us here in America whom I believe God has blessed us in this country abundantly. And yet has it caused a spirit within our nation to fall on our knees and humble ourselves before God? No, it's done just the opposite. All the wonderful blessings and benefits and privileges and favor has for the most part lifted Americans up in pride to the point where I don't need God. I don't even think there is a God. And that's what Paul's saying we all have to be careful of. Because that's what happened to Israel. That's why he says three times in this passage to Gentiles. Don't you allow the favor and blessings and privileges that God has poured out on you now through the Messiah cause you to get to a point where you are hardened before him just like the Israelites got and get really smug in your place with God. And then finally, this is what really captured my heart. In verse 28, and don't worry, my voice will hang in there as long as it, you know, needs to. Paul says, in regard to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, Gentiles. But in regard to election, those God chose for himself, they are dearly loved for the sake of the fathers. In other words, he's saying, look, God promised Abraham, that this is what he would do. And he promised Moses, this is what he would do. And he promised David, this is what he would do. And so he's going to be true to his promises regardless of how people are responding now because many of God's promises weren't based on performance. They were just based on God's grace and his goodness. Which is why Paul says this to Israel, to the Gentiles, to all of us. He says, the gifts, the undeserved favor, and the call of God are irrevocable. And this word irrevocable is different from the previous word that was translated in our English Bible, irrevocable. 
Here's what this word means. Having no regret. Now think about that. Think about what Paul is saying here. He's saying, God foreknew, back to verse 2, what Israel was going to be and what they were going to do. And yet, God chose to enter into a relationship with Israel and put up with them throughout history. Most of the Israelites rejecting him, even murdering his own son on a cross. And yet all of that, Paul says, never was there a moment in God's mind where he said, I regret. I regret. See, God, unlike us, God doesn't ever live throughout any of his existence with any regret. And God, unlike us, knows exactly what he's getting involved with when he gets involved with relationships with us. Let me ask this question. How many of you would have not entered into certain relationships in your life if you would have been able to see how things were going to look down the road? Because we all know people change, people are fickle. See, that's why the Bible says, in contrast to that, God doesn't change. And that's what started to just, for lack of a better way to say it, blow me away. Was I began to take this truth and apply it to my own life and realize this unbelievable truth that really God has been using in my life to transform even how after all these years I look at God differently because I'm starting to see how he looks at me and maybe I never saw this before or really allowed the impact of it to hit me and that is this in spite of the fact that all God knew he was going to have to put up with with Jeff Royce all the pain that I was going to cause him throughout my life, all the disappointment, all the times I fell and failed him, there was never a point in God's mind where God looked down and said, I regret that I entered into this relationship with you, Jeff. And so what I'm saying to you is that's the same truth to you as well. There's never been a time, nor will there ever be a time, because here's the thing. Unlike us, who don't know what we're really getting into in relationships, we don't know what the future holds in any relationship, because things change. God knows exactly what he's getting into in every relationship. Because he's God, he knows the end from the beginning. And he knows exactly how much pain, exactly how much rejection, exactly how much disappointment he's going to face. And yet, God loves us so much that he looks at us without regret. 
and says, I knew what I was getting into. And I was willing to jump into it head first with you. I don't know about you, but that truth just sort of set me back a little bit. I was like, wow, God. Sometimes in my own spiritual life, the hardest thing I have to deal with is me. Do you know what I mean? I lose patience with me. I get tired of me. And it was like God was saying to me again the other day through this. Yeah, you you may get tired of yourself, but I never get tired of you. I love you without regret. If we would allow the truth of Romans 11 to truly penetrate our hearts, I don't know how any of us could not be at a point where we say, God, I'm yours. I don't even love myself most times, many people would say, and yet now I'm realizing, God, you love me and you know everything. You know things that no one else will ever know. And yet you still love me unconditionally because your kind of love is a love of choice. That's what agape love is. God says, I choose to love you. And that's the kind of love that God wants to create in our hearts. Not just for him, but for each other. No wonder then Paul ends chapter 11 with these words. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, His decisions, His decrees is what that word means. And how fathomless His ways, beyond comprehension. For who has completely, thoroughly known the mind of God? No one. And who has been his counselor or advisor? No one. And who has first given to God that God somehow needs to repay or owe us? Nothing. For from him, through him, and to him are all things, Paul says. To him be glory forever. Amen. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and please hang in there with me as they're moving. I think it's really important that we as God's people respond to God in some way. That's why John said we love him because he first loved us, that God's always the one that initiates and reaches out, but God does expect some kind of response back. Hopefully positive, obviously. That's what I think this time is all about. 
So here's what I want to plant within our, our minds and hearts today. If you're here today and you have, say, fallen away from God or stumbled, would you consider responding and coming back to Him today and, and, and realizing that if you feel distant, God has not pushed you away, has not rejected you, and there's always restoration with God, no one is ever beyond recovery. Would you consider coming back to Him today? Maybe you've heard the words of this message and lately you've been striving or struggling or wrestling with God because you know God wants this or doesn't want this and yet we're either holding on to something we shouldn't be or we're not following God down the path He wants us to go. We're still trying to do it on our terms and in our way. And today, as you hear about this God that has loved you and will love you throughout eternity without any regret, would there be at least a chance that some of you would say, God, I'm done struggling, wrestling, striving with you, my Creator. I'm willing to to do it your way. To follow you. To let go. Whatever. One of the great privileges God gives us too as Christians is to be intercessors. Which simply means that we come to God on behalf of someone else. And so maybe you're here today and This message has certainly impacted you, but God has also brought to your mind and to your heart a family member, a friend, an acquaintance, a co-worker, a friend at school, a neighbor, somebody that God has laid on your heart that you know is striving and struggling and wrestling with God, or, or someone that that maybe has fallen and stumbled. And hasn't gotten back up yet. Maybe because they feel like they've fallen too far. They've went too far. They've gone beyond recovery. And God would want you today to have that great ministry of interceding to God on behalf of them. And bringing them to God. They might not ever know you've been praying for them. Or interceding for them. But God does. And God will respond to those prayers. And those intercessions. We're going to stand in just a moment. And we're going to sing, I surrender all. And as we sing, if any of you in this auditorium want to come here to the front, you want to humble yourself and kneel here and, and you want to do so for something on your behalf or you want to do something here on behalf of someone else and be an intercessor today, we invite you to come. Don't have to come. 
God can work in your heart right there in that place. But I do believe that there are times in our Christian life where markers are good. Where we can do something that is, in a sense, public and visible to the point where we can even look back to that mark. Just like baptism. That's what it is. It's a public marker in our lives. And so maybe today, today would be a a marker day for you as a Christian. A day where something significant has changed or moved within you towards God. That God is calling you back to Himself or wanting you to intercede on behalf of someone else. All I ask for all of us, including myself, is that we would respond to God as God is leading us to respond to Him today. Let us stand and let's sing, I Surrender All.
to encourage you to carry this image with you in the weeks ahead. And I believe this with all my heart, not based upon my feeling or my wish or desire, but based upon what I think the truth of Scripture teaches. And that is when each of us as God's children who've accepted Christ as our Savior, get to heaven. And we are finally able to look into the eyes of Jesus. I believe I'm going to be looking into the eyes of a God whose eyes are going to show nothing but love for me. Eyes that will be not filled with any regret at all, in spite of all the disappointment, all the pain, all the times that I failed him, I believe that I will be looking into the eyes of Jesus and there will be nothing but perfect, unconditional love for me. I want you and hope for you that you will carry that image with you. And that that image and that truth of God's love for us, a love without regret, will not be something that lifts us up in pride, causes us to think unduly highly of ourselves to the point where we become stubborn and obstinate and hard-hearted, but that it would do just the opposite. That because of this great love that God has for me, a love that He has demonstrated and a love that He will demonstrate towards me throughout all eternity, that this love will be a love that humbles me that it will be a love that moves me, that it will be a love that continually changes me and allows Him to mold me and to make me after His will rather than my own. If we leave here today, may all of us leave here knowing how much God loves us. It is a love without regret. God, go with us today. May we be filled with your love. We so desperately need to be filled with your love for us. Because, Lord, we confess and acknowledge that when we, even as Christians, do not allow our lives to be filled with your love for us, we seek and attempt to fill our lives 
with other things that can never fill us like your love can. All those other things will always, always leave us empty compared to your love for us. May we open ourselves up to be loved by you today and let your love flood into our lives like never before. So that, Lord, not only can we really begin to love you and respond to you, but so that we can really begin to love others as we finally discover we start loving ourselves. God, make this day a day of significance in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys for being here. We'll see you Tuesday night.